Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Driving to the Basket. My name is Mike. I'm here with Tommy and our guest for tonight, Dante, also known as Chef Curry Sauce on the Detroit Pistons subreddit. Uh, also, as I understand it, a meme legend on the uh, Detroit Lions subreddit. Uh, thanks for oh, joining boy. Tonight, Dante. Well, that's quite the introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're, you're famous, apparently, amongst uh, the, uh, the Reddit Lions community. Yeah, that's uh, I tell everybody that in real life, and everybody thinks I'm I'm sick, actually. Oh. So, <laughs> fantastic. Well, uh, yeah. to be honest, I got to say, anybody who manages to find humor and the Detroit Lions is really doing uh, all other Lions fans a favor. Uh, yep. I mean, goodness knows, yeah, goodness knows they they need it. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, we're just gonna start out uh, tonight by noting once again that the Pistons are really, really bad, and it's absolutely great. They're going into a very, very difficult stretch of schedule that began with a game against the Thunder. Uh, after a game against, I believe, before, the game before that was against the Kings, uh, a very bad team uh, whom the Pistons uh, managed to score the first, uh, I think, 18-1 to 1 early on in the game and still managed to lose. You know, wonderful. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it sucks for the players, but at this point, honestly, you want to lose as many games as you can. They're coming up in a very, very difficult strength of schedule. So uh, they've got... Uh, a very, very solid chance of ending up in the bottom four. And bottom four, I mean, the bottom three have the same odds. Uh, number four still has very good odds, number one pick. So uh, tonight, uh, we're just going to start off talking a little bit about Christian Wood. Uh, had another a very good game last night. Uh, we're recording this uh, right now on, on Thursday night. So uh, he had a, a very good game last night against the Thunder. Uh, scored 29 points, I believe 10 rebounds. Uh, did very well on offense. And uh, there's been a lot of questions amongst the fandom, at least the fandom that we see about uh, what's his future with the team, uh, what's he going to get offered, uh, who might uh, who might give him an offer. So let's get started with that. I know, Tommy, you've been researching this a lot. So uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I found uh, some projections made by a Celtics writer named Keith Smith. He does these every, I think, every year. And his projections factor in the players that he thinks are going to be re-signed by their team. And he, he, he kind of calculates how much cap space he thinks each team will have. Uh, so for Christian Wood's case, I think to, to narrow down the number of teams who can make a decent offer to Christian Wood, I think you have to start above the mid-level of exception, which for 2020 uh, is, I believe, $9.25 million. So there are actually only six teams, including the Pistons, that have cap space. Uh, so those teams are Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami, New York, and Phoenix, and then, of course, the Pistons. So I went through and I kind of looked at each team and what players they have at the center and the power forward position, which is kind of where Christian is playing and where a lot of people think he should play. And I'm kind of trying to gauge the likelihood of each team making a significant offer for him. Uh, the interesting thing about all these teams is they all have upwards of at least, I believe, 25 million in cap space. Actually, Phoenix has 24, but they also have to replace quite a few players. Uh, so starting with Atlanta, uh, they have Clint Capella, John Collins, and Dwayne Dedman, and they have 50 million in cap space, uh, but they only have nine players. I don't think there's a very good chance of them making an offer to Christian uh, just because Clint Capella, they've 
they gave up a first rounder for him. John Collins is young and he plays power forward and he does a lot of what Christian already does. And then there's Dwayne Dedman, who's making, I think, 13 million for the the upcoming year. So there's really no need for Atlanta to make an offer to Christian. I think what they're going to end up doing is if they don't spend a significant amount of their money this year, they're going to have plenty of cap space in 2021 where there's going to be a lot of uh, free agents. So I, I I would put the chances of them making an offer at like on a scale of one to 10 at like a two. Uh, the next team is Charlotte. They have 10 players under contract and they have Cody Zeller and PJ Washington, Cody Zeller center. PJ is there. I believe I'm pretty sure he's a rookie power forward. Uh, yeah, that's right. They have 20. Yep. 25 million. They have Bismack Biombo and Hernan Gomez. Uh, they're pending free agents. Uh, Keith Smith, he doesn't have them coming back. So with only two, two players who are kind of front and court, uh, in Christian Woods area, I could see them making an offer. And I mean, they're, they're one of two teams that I think has a, a decent chance of pulling Christian Wood away. Uh, the Hornets have a, a habit of overpaying guys. I mean, there's Nick Batum who they don't even play anymore because he's a bit older and they are focusing on their rebuild. So it's kind of a toss up to me if they think Christian Wood is, is young enough and, and good enough. He actually played with the Hornets for, I think, two years. I don't know how much playing time he got there, but he struggled there. So it'll be interesting to see if they're interested in a reunion. I'd put the chances at maybe a 6 out of 10. Uh, it might happen. Just it, It's a matter of if the Hornets are willing to spend that kind of money on Christian Wood. Uh, next up is Miami. They have Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olynyk, and then their power forward, uh, Duncan Robinson, who's – Shooting ungodly well from three. Does he play small forward uh, mostly? Duncan Robinson. Yeah, he, he's listed as a power forward. I, I'm sure he's just like he's he's pretty much exclusively a sniper. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's been yeah, actually you're, playing you're right. Mostly, I mean, uh, mostly shooting guard and small forward this year. Really? I yeah. mean that that kind of changes things. Uh, we talked about this. I mean, if if you want Wood to be a center, then there's really no reason for uh, the Heat to pay him. Uh, they have only nine players on their roster right now. They've got a lot of holes to fill. Uh, but they have Bam, who's obviously a first-time All-Star this year, and then they have Kelly Olynyk, who can do a lot of what Christian Wood can do. He can space the floor, and he's been there. He knows they know what they have in Kelly Olynyk. So chances for them uh, making an offer on Christian Wood, I, I'd put it at like a three out of ten. I, I really don't see that happening. I don't see it with uh, Miami is- at all. No, Miami, no, no, they're, they're going to have to pay Bam after next year. Miami is a team that perennially avoids, uh, just, uh, just perennially wants to avoid the luxury tax. Yeah, right. And they, they have to, yeah. they also, Dragic is expiring. Uh, you know, the Crowder's expired. I mean, they just they have a lot of holes to fill. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, then next is, next is New York. And I mean, I'm a lot of people I'm sure have heard the jokes that New York signed like four power forwards in the offseason or like acquired four power forwards. Uh, they got rid of uh, Marcus Morris. He's he's in L.A. now, I think. Yes. Uh, and then next year, they have Bobby Portis, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Taj Gibson, and Julius Randle. Now, they've, uh, Portis and Gibson are on team options. Right. So, uh, Keith Smith has Portis being gone. I don't 
think he has Gibson being gone. I'm pretty sure Gibson is still under contract. I'm not sure, honestly. Yes, yeah, but he has option. them. At... It's, it's hard to know what the Knicks will do. Exactly, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, they, yeah, they have 44 million in cap space, though. So I, I really don't see them making a big offer to Christian because it's New York. I think they believe in their ability to uh, draw free agents, and they're already so stacked at power forward. I really don't. I don't see that happening. And the last one is Phoenix, and this one is. The most interesting to me, uh, they have Frank Kaminsky and Czech Diallo uh, on team options, and Keith Smith doesn't have them coming back. So all they're left with is DeAndre Ayton at center, and then they have, I think, Dario Saric entering restricted free agency. Uh, they have yeah. nine players rostered and then $24 million in cap space. Honestly, I think this is the one that's like the most likely to happen. Uh, Christian Wood is only 24. Man. Yeah, no, you're scaring me. Christian Woods yeah. only 24. Uh, I think he would fit their timeline well. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, he can move well. I don't think it's a huge drop off in play style uh, from DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, Ayton is a lot bigger and he's a lot more skilled around the rim, but I think the fit is there. And if 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 there's a team that's going to make a decent offer, it's I think it might be Phoenix. Now they have holes to fill, of course, and they only have 24 million and nine players under contract for next next season. So I think the main threats would be Phoenix, and I believe I had Charlotte. So, I mean, with all those things in mind, if you want to keep, if you want to keep the bidding between just those six teams, I think you have to exceed the MLE and exceed it in a way that Christian Wood can't say no. I, I think this is his first real like big contract, a real big opportunity. Uh, so, personally, I would offer him thirty-nine over three, uh, thirteen million a year. I think that's fair. Uh, we don't need to use all of our cap space. We have a lot of players and holes to fill, but Christian Wood has been a bright spot in what has otherwise been a pretty terrible time for the Pistons uh, in the short term. So, and he knows thirteen million too. a year. I think is fair. He, he knows it as well. Like I don't think you can undersell the. Um this is kind of where he got his break. You know what I mean? You mentioned earlier that uh, he played for Charlotte. Like, I didn't even know that. This guy's been bouncing yeah. around the league so much. And I think when you look at that list of teams and what they already have and, and the cap space, I just don't see, you know, any of them being like, that. We, we need to go get Christian Wood. Like, that's who we need to spend our cap space on. So I think the Pistons are in an okay spot to be the ones to bring him back. Uh, like, I'm not too concerned. Yeah. I mean, he's gotten yeah. interest around the league. I know there was a rumor that uh, the Celtics tried to trade for Christian Wood. And to me, like, that's like the main thing to watch for. Cause I think Boston has probably, if not the best, uh, top, then definitely top three front offices. So if they're interested in one of your guys, it might just be that Danny Ainge is trying to fleece you. But it, it, it's, it's a good sign when the Celtics want one of your people. Yeah, I think there are reports that a lot of teams actually uh, made pitches for Wood. And uh, that makes sense. I mean, he's, he's a player with a very reasonable cap number. I mean, any team could uh, could have added him pretty much just at the law. Really, the only loss would have been uh, whatever compensatory player you send over and probably a draft pick. So I don't... Uh, I don't think it's as much of uh t- well, first off, I don't think he'll really get a significant payday. This is a guy with less than a season 
uh, as a full-time rotation player. And there's also that what really kept him out of the league. Uh, you know, he wasn't drafted. It took him a long time to catch on despite uh, despite doing very well. Uh, I think he had a, a very an exceptional performance in 2018 Summer League. And even then, he really didn't get a shot with the team until uh, near the end of the season. That was the Pelicans. So uh, I think that will make teams a little bit wary just because you know you just you never know you never know if he'll if he'll continue to work this hard after he's paid but mm-hmm. uh, i think the the primary reason for the business to keep him is that he's entertaining to watch and this team is unless they get a just a, a draft pick and this guy turns out to be super exciting next season i mean there's just <laughs> there's not much that's exciting about this team who knows maybe Sacco will take another step uh maybe bruce brown will take another step i have my doubts because the guy just doesn't really seem to have the touch on offense yeah but uh you know, you got to love Bruce, but he still can't score above the basket. It's mostly just floaters and whatnot. He's still bad at scoring in the way to the basket. He still won't shoot threes, uh, or he does it very rarely. Uh, and it's like, it's nice that he's a playmaker, but if you're a playmaker who can't shoot, then you're it's much, you're much less useful as a playmaker, uh, or it's, it's a passer to others. So uh, I would say as far as potential teams, like the teams you've listed uh, who, who might make a run for Wood, I agree. The Hawks are, are very unlikely to make that pitch. Uh, they uh, they're probably still a couple seasons away. Uh, also, there's the question of where does Collins best fit. Uh, th- there were some who raised eyebrows about the Capella trade uh, because uh, Collins operates a fair amount down in the paint, and Capella can only play in the paint. Uh, the Knicks, I don't think, are really likely to make uh, try to make a splash with uh, with anybody. Uh, I mean. There's there's very dubious rumors that they might trade for Chris Paul or try to trade for Chris Paul, but honestly, it's just tough to. I'm not even going to bother trying to uh, trying to you know revise what I said. I don't think I'm, I'm not even going to bother trying to predict what the Knicks will do because you just never know. No, there's no point. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Hornets, I think, will just focus on the drafted players for now. You mentioned they aren't playing Batum at all. I mean, partially just he sucks, but partially there's just no reason to play him, and I think it's the right decision. Uh, and by all accounts, he's been he's he's been taking it in stride. And uh, the Suns, uh, here's the thing: you traded for you traded down in order to get Sarich. Yeah, and yeah, so you've got Aiden on the team, obviously, just center of the future. You've got Baines; they have full bird on him, uh, and um, so full bird rights, and he's been great for them. I think they'll keep him. And a power forward, Cam Johnson, who was a bizarre pick. Uh, in the lottery, you know, people had him in the high twenties because the guy is, he's, he's just, I think 23 when he entered the draft, uh, he's got very limited athletic upside and he's got major injury red flags, but, uh, they took him and they seem to like him. So that's your four guys in the front court. I don't think they're really likely to go after wood, uh, Sarich, clearly they liked him enough to trade down. Uh, so, and who else did we say? I don't remember. I think that pretty much covers everybody. So yeah, I just don't. Uh, I don't I see it. it was just I just Miami. don't see a team. I, oh, again, Miami, even right. Miami. I don't see that either. And honestly, I think a part of me too. I I really don't want to see the Pistons without Christian Wood, because like at, at the risk of offending you, Mike. I know you're the uh, the president of the Andre Drummond fan club, but like what a <laughs> yeah. what a divergence from from that style of. Okay, like I I couldn't tell you one time in the past three to four seasons where, you know, I, I would watch Drummond receive an entry pass and I was like, yes, like that is what I want to see. 
You, you know what I mean? Whereas Christian is just, he's so exciting every time he touches the ball, right? And he's like an analytics guy's dream too, because he's either going to, you know, hit a three in your face or he's going to drive to the basket and just shatter the rim, like just obliterate it. So he doesn't settle for like the stupid mid-range shots or the push shots or really even like post up all that much. He's just, he's the best part about the team right now. And I think the front office knows it. I, I'm sure that Tom Gores knows it. Uh, Rod Beard had that tweet about how, you know, Christian went from the last guy on the roster to the last guy being introduced in the pregame. Um, so I don't think that the team can afford to let him go. And when you look at the crop of other teams that have cap space, I just, I don't see a fit, you know, quite like he has in Detroit already. But that that's just my take. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, well, of course, this is all that's just trying to predict what uh, billion-dollar yeah. organizations will do. But, uh, yeah, I, I I don't see him. Uh, I, I think it's a very, very high likelihood he'll be with the Pistons next season. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's likely that another team will throw very significant dollars at him. I, I think we're looking at probably a three-year contract between $10 and $12 million a year. I also don't see him as a starting center in the league. Uh, he's a little bit of a tweener and tweener. It's not as big of a deal to be a tweener. This, uh, this stage in the NBA, as long as you are able to uh, switch downward on defense in particular. Uh, and as long as you can stretch the floor. And honestly, there aren't very many uh, guys who flex between power forward and center anymore. There used to be a lot, uh, you know, six years ago, uh, back when a lot of your power forwards couldn't shoot. And so you just moved them up to center and all those guys, of course, who couldn't shoot a power forward or not either centers or out of the league. But uh, I see him in the long term as kind of a Montreal hero sort of player, not necessarily in terms of skill sets, but uh, you play him off the bench, big minutes, and you put him next to uh, a good point guard who can work with him, and you let them make magic off the bench. I don't think he's ideal to play power forward. I'd really much rather see him play center. You're giving up size on defense, but you see teams taking that to the extreme. Uh, Houston is going bite-sized and doing just fine. I mean, this yep. is just another indictment against, uh, you know, the likes of Drummond. I mean, he, he had flaws well beyond just his inability to, to score. To, and certainly, I don't think he'll ever have the touch to stretch the floor. But you give up rebounding, and you're fine as long as you do well on offense. You play a fast-paced offense that shoots really efficiently, and you're just fine. You, you, you rebound defensively uh, uh, by committee. And you do okay. So uh, I think his ideal position is center, but I don't think he's a center who's going to be good enough on a successful team. That said, the Pistons are not going to be, are very unlikely to be successful anytime soon. So I think you just keep him for excitement value alone. And who knows, maybe you get lucky in the next couple of years and then you still have him under contract. But I think the Pistons are the team that's most likely to offer him a multi-year deal where he wants to be. And that's where you're going to get the biggest role. Because on any, other, on any of the other teams we listed, aside from the Knicks, He's playing off the bench. Uh, and even with Griffin back next season, I think if, if Dwayne Casey finally says, okay, fine, I'll play him at center, I think that's that's where you're likely to see him play starting minutes. And he'd be a good fit with uh, with Griffin as a guy who can space the floor, though that's another whole mess that you don't want Griffin sucking usage away from younger players next season. And there's no other way he can play. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's just another whole mess. So... I, I think 90% chance he's with the Pistons next season. And, uh, you know, it, though it, it seemed like uh, from his post-game conference last night that he was a little bit depressed that he had this career night and the Pistons still lost. Uh, I think ultimately playing on a team where he gets the most minutes and the most opportunity uh, and a decent contract is, is going to trump 
like I, I don't see him going to an MLE on uh, MLE to a team because you know who knows, <clears throat> but uh, I think it's unlikely. No, he's looking for a payday. Like when you've bounced when you've bounced between like six or seven teams and you're only 24 years old, you're not like chasing a ring. You know what I mean? And I think the Pistons are easily the likeliest team to, to, like you said, to offer him a multi-year deal to, and not only that, but to give him the touches that I'm sure that he wants at this stage in his career. So I would be, I'd be floored if he wasn't a Piston next year. So that's where we stand on Christian Wood. Uh, Also, you know, it's, it's worth, uh, it's worth noting. It's always worth looking at uh, just the continued evolution of the NBA matter in general. And uh, Christian, uh, I know we talked about this, I believe, a little bit in the last episode. Uh, Christian Wood is just the the kind of center of the future. To an extent, uh, he'd be a better center of the future if he could defend the rim more ably. He's decent at it, but uh, not always reliable. I think your real centers of the future are guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., for example. Uh, dudes who can uh, really ably protect the rim and also space the floor. But, uh, you know, with the Pistons... Uh, you know, we were, we were chatting before the show, and I think we, we unanimously agreed on this that none of us miss watching Andre Drummond. <laughs> like, not no. at all. Uh, the game for the Pistons, uh, just things flow better. You have guys playing for the team. Uh, I don't think there's a single guy in the roster right now who is just hogging the ball because he wants to be a star offensive player. Uh, they're playing a modern style of NBA basketball when they can. I mean, when with Wood on the floor, I, I don't really feel great about Henson taking the center minutes instead of Wood. But, uh, you know, at least he's a team guy. Uh, I don't miss Drummond's uh, slowing the offense down into molasses because he insists on being part of it. So, you know, if he's not trying to force offense, he wants to be the playmaker that he's not he's not good enough at either one. The Pistons, with Drummond on the floor this season, were like, I believe, 27th in pace. They shot up to 7th without him on the floor. So it was just really not a pleasant to watch, uh, especially because he was, when it came down to it, just such a... a you know, he had maturity issues and he was pretty selfish. Uh, like yeah. you said last time. Yeah. Van Gundy was like, Oh, Andre never complained about touches. And it's like, you gave him a billion touches. That's why. So, uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I do miss the wrapping. I'll miss the wrapping for <laughs> sure. But that's about, that's where I draw the line. I would say. Yeah. Uh, like if we look, I don't, I don't miss Reggie Jackson either. Uh, I was a, a harsh critic of Reggie Jackson for his first uh, two seasons with Detroit uh, before I, I kind of feel like he grew up uh, after his really terrible, terrible season in 2016-2017. Uh, but the Drummond-Griffin, excuse me, the, the, the Drummond-Jackson duo was just so boring. I mean, if Drummond wasn't just sucking the life out of everything – uh, Jackson was pounding the ball for 20 seconds before going in a pick and roll and taking a bad shot. Uh, and you just, you can't play with that kind of pace in today's NBA. And those two guys no. are not good enough to be your center. They're just uh, to be the centerpiece of a successful team. So no, it I'm wasn't excited fun. for what the future is going to bring. It wasn't fun at all. So at least it's a new era now. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not that it's not chasing yeah. an eight speed. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, uh, it's, yeah. Chance to build but, a modern uh, team too. Yep. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a real opportunity here to to do something new. And with this flexibility that we have now, we can sign more players like Christian Wood who work better with the modern offense. And like like you were just saying, players who fit the NBA meta, you know, I, I know me personally, I, I want us to do. I know there are like some purists who who like the the idea of the traditional center and the pick and roll and the defense first guys. 
I don't think that's that's how you should approach team building anymore. Uh, offense, it, it's clearly what the, the league wants. So you take the offensive, the offense first, guys. Guys who are uh, making their teammates better by providing spacing, and then on the other end, they can defend. And then you have like maybe one. Actually, it's it's good to have multiple guys who can handle the ball, but you don't want too many guys who are like fit dependent or who really need the ball, which is kind of what the the Pistons went into uh, the season with. You know, they had Derrick Rose, Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, who last season he he did learn how to play off the ball, and then I think uh, Mike, you even mentioned it was like the the count was like six or seven guys who were at their best when they had the ball in their hands. So now you can take this opportunity and build a team with more cohesion and uh, that have a better fit together. Yeah. It's guys who can play up and down. I mean, uh, you're, there'll always be a space for your elite point guards who obviously are never going to be particularly good at switching onto, onto big guys, but yeah, you want the guys who can play in a multitude of ways and like the Pistons. Uh, I mean, I'll still maintain that, uh, that Stan Van Gundy, that, that the, just the trade for Griffin was a Hail Mary to save his job. Uh, he was also a guy who just disdained analytics and disdained what was going on in the NBA, just completely disdained trends. Uh, you know, in a league of an increasingly positionless basketball, you get two guys, you put half the salary cap in there, uh, and they're guys who operate in the interior can only play one position. So, because Griffin is a center in today's league, but he can't play center. I mean, that is that is certainly absolutely his ideal position. So yeah, you have a you have a front office that that seems to have its head screwed on straight uh, to a degree. I remain wary of of uh, of Stefanski just because of his his very 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 devious pedigree. But to this point, uh, he's done a fairly good job—not a perfect job, but a fairly good job—and also seems to be willing to stand up to Tom Gores, uh, which uh, that is complete speculation. But it seems to be the case. Uh, it's entirely possible that that Gores just said after Van Gundy, it's just like okay, maybe I have to let the like my amateurish amateurish meddling should be toned down, and I should let the professionals do the work. But uh, you know, at, at the very least, you can say that they're headed in the right direction. And if you can get a guy like Anthony Edwards, you know, fantastic. I'm even more excited about the future. <laughs> like <clears throat> this draft, this draft will be big for the Pistons. I think they could easily lose all but like three of their remaining games. And it's terrible to watch. Yeah. Uh, and and honestly, like I've been missing a game here and there. Uh, and and for years, I would not ever miss a game unless I were out of town or just absolutely unable to watch. <clears throat> and um, you know, so it, it's not easy. But I like I liken this uh, like the Pistons to an athlete who you know who keeps who has a nagging injury and it's lowering his his athletic ceiling, so he can't win. He's he's you know he's he's uh, his, his Level of success is very mediocre, but he doesn't want to take time off to recoup. He wants to keep trying to compete. And so he's going to keep being really mediocre until you take that time off uh, to recuperate and you can get to a point where you're healthy and you can compete again. And that time you have to take off sucks. But if you want to win, you got to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or you can be the jazz and just, uh, you know, be very lucky that uh, the guy before you picks the wrong guy and suddenly you have an all-star on your team. (laughs) Yeah. Did you come yeah, up but, with that metaphor right now? What? The, the you know, the athlete needing to take time off from the nagging injury to come back stronger. Was that like off the top? Because that was awesome. No, no, no. Yeah, that no, was I, really I was solid. Say, yeah, I've, I I've, say, I've, oh I've used God. that one. I've used that one before. But uh, yeah, uh, 
Oh, thanks though. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I was like, wow, <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's worth just uh, what we're saying, just tying back to what we were saying, of course, about the evolution of the league. I mean, the Jazz have uh, Rudy Gobert, who I think is far and away the best traditional center in the league, who's who's great at everything a traditional center does, but yeah, even he is very vulnerable because uh, he is like even as a game changing defender. Like I watched a clip uh, earlier in the season of a, a single play. Uh, he was just rotating around and three guys drove at the basket, saw him and turned back and just said, you know, to hell with this. I can't score on him. So I'm just, we're going to find something else to do. Uh, even him, uh, even he is, is vulnerable uh, to teams going smaller. Like the Lakers were playing against the jazz in a game against jazz early in the season uh, with JaVale McGee on the floor. They were struggling to score. And then they moved Anthony Davis to five and suddenly Gobert has to come out to the perimeter and guard Davis and your lanes to the baskets become much more open. Yep. And on the other end, he, uh, he just can't provide enough on offense to, to when his defense becomes less useful, then uh, he becomes a negative, not necessarily negative, but n- nowhere near as much of a net positive. Uh, so yeah, just after the dark time of Van Gundy, I think at least we have a, a, a team, uh, you know, a GM that uh, management that care about analytics and care about, uh, you know, just doing what needs to be done to build a modern team. No, for sure. Like as the game becomes more uh, perimeter centric, I think you'll probably find that that traditional center is probably going to die out. Like you're mentioning earlier, the, the Rockets are playing, I don't know, me, like I'm their starting center right now and they're doing okay. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I, I don't see the need for, yeah, like the Andre Drummond's of the world. And then even when you get to the very top of that archetype, like your Rudy Gobert's, it's even then there are like critical flaws that you can just exploit by putting a smaller lineup out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if within four or five years, you know, lots of teams or even most teams are going small. Yeah. What, what was it you said, Tommy, about, uh, I think it was Pat Riley quotes. Yeah. I, I tried to find this quote last week. I forget who it was, but the quote was in 15 years, the NBA is just going to be a bunch of six, eight guys chucking threes. And it was <laughs> said in like, in a way that was meant to like kind of criticize where the league is going. It's one of those, things where you know the purists want like the positions back but you, you can't fight it and if you try you end up being the pistons with two front court players who are we all know the story i mean it, it's it's good to get ahead of those trends when you see them coming that's what the rockets mm-hmm. are trying to do and it's and it's worked fairly well cuz the trade off of having a traditional center it hasn't been as, as significant as anyone thought i mean everybody thought okay everybody's going to score on the Rockets defense at will. And it hasn't been that case. That hasn't been the case because they've had enough offense to compensate for it. Yeah, for sure. You're going to see it evolve. Like, and that's, you know, the Rockets yeah, were absolutely. the first, uh, they were like the pioneers of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to, when teams make, you know, when really teams make big changes to the way basketball is played, uh, you have to, you know, you have to adapt. You can't do what Van Gundy did and just, uh, you know, dig your heels into the sand and scream, I'm not going to do this. It just doesn't work. Uh, you're going to lose. Like the Warriors, uh, you know, even before the Rockets, the Warriors really uh, revolutionized basketball in two ways. Number one was their death lineup that they played in, uh, in the, particularly in the uh, 2015 playoffs, like after the going down two to one against the Cavs, it was like, well, screw this. We're not going to play Bogut anymore. Uh, we're just going to play a super small lineup. And 
you know, we're going to give up uh, a little bit on the defensive end of things, but we're going to be much quicker. You're going to have a lot harder time covering us. And that worked. Of course, you know, you can look back and say, well, if Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were healthy, where the Warriors have won, who knows? Yeah. But also the series against the Grizzlies. Uh, <clears throat> I don't remember if they had gone 2-1. I think just the Grizzlies had tied it 2-2. Two to two. Tony Allen, uh, first team all defense that year, as he was fond of saying. Uh, you know, he'd make a good defensive play. First team all defense. Uh, you know, he was he was a great uh, he was a great defender, and he was doing a good job on Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. So the Warriors said, uh, "Okay, well, you can't shoot. So you know what? We're just gonna assign Andrew Bogut to you. We're gonna put him at the top of the paint, and if you want to drive, then somebody's just gonna come help." And so the Grizzlies had the choice. Okay. We can either keep Allen on the floor and our offense is going to tank because we're playing 4v5, or we can take him off the floor and then uh, Curry, who is primarily guarding, is free to do his thing. And they lost. They lost the series. I mean, they, they, I think it was only two yep. more games, but yeah. And that uh, that really changed the NBA. Uh, those defensive specialists, uh, you know, saw who couldn't shoot. I mean, those guys nosedived in, uh, in utility uh, and in presence, and they learned to shoot or they were gone. Roberson was who was really the last one <clears throat> he uh i mean he's obviously been injured but if he had been healthy last season i doubt he would have been playing in the starting lineup and same thing this year because it's just it's such a drag in, in a game that really favors offense marcus smart learned to shoot and uh so <clears throat> and then the rockets uh, did their thing with just going mega analytics and it worked. I mean, it helps that you have one of the greatest scorers of all time. I mean, that's that's never you know that that's a big part of it. But you yeah. have to keep up. <laughs> and yeah. and unfortunately, in, in Stan Van Gundy, the Pistons had a GM who just wasn't with the times. He didn't even coach shot selection, which is a travesty. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Even the Cavs uh, in LeBron's last year, the, the year they won the championship, I believe Tristan Thompson was still starting most games. But then the next year, they put him on the bench and they moved Kevin Love to the five so that they could make it easier for LeBron to get to the rim. I mean, they gave up Tristan Thompson's defense for Kevin Love's spacing, and it didn't end up working out. But it sh- it shows that they tried it. Despite the fact that they had won the championship the year before, they were still trying to make the improvements, and that's what they saw as the next logical step. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Kevin Love just suffered from being a terrible defender. Also, he is a little bit of an outdated player, like not actually outdated. I mean, he's always been modern in his ability to stretch the floor and score in a variety of ways, but he's not athletic. I mean, by NBA standards, he's not very athletic at all. And uh, there's another thing that the former regime just didn't understand is that athleticism is extremely important in the NBA right now. It can really determine your ceiling. It's not, I mean, if once you pass a certain threshold, it's like, okay, fine, you're athletic enough. Like Luka Doncic is not the most athletic guy, but he's just so good at everything. And he's athletic enough. You know, he's, it's just, it's enough. But you have guys like Luke Kennard who are just and, – and Spee is actually fairly athletic uh, in terms of his speed and his, his elevation. It's just uh, in terms of uh, anthrometrics. He is just a short wingspan, you know, small standing reach. Uh, Kennard is not athletic, and that's going to dog him his entire career. Uh, and uh, Honestly, I think if you had a GM who understood the value of athleticism – he never would have drafted Henry Ellenson. Like, my goodness, was he a terrible pick. <laughs> yeah, that, that one Gumpy still hurts. There. That one still hurts. He was a legend for the Knicks, though. For what Didn't he score? Like, he had a good game against us, didn't he? Uh, he I, I, I don't remember. But revenge he, game. He had, a, he had a few good games before being uh, ultimately cut by the worst one of the worst teams in the league. 
I and, hate to see uh, that. I yeah, forgot about it's it sad. completely, honestly. Well, the guys drafted after him, uh, Malik Beasley, who's a solid rotation player. Karis LeVert has been up and down. He scored 51 points yesterday. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both like the guys taken after him. The Pistons needed help in the wing. Stanley Johnson had been, uh, you know, he was, you know, who knows what was going to happen, but KCB had been disappointing, and you need those guys. And Van Gundy just didn't understand that. So he took a guy who had no NBA upside. Yeah. And uh, then refused to play him. Uh, I, I've said this multiple times, but uh, there was this game that the last time he really got uh, significant playtime, Van Gundy made the horrific decision to put he and John Bluer on the floor against Kyle Kuzma and Julius Randle, and it was ugly. And that was the last time Valenson really played. So it was predictably ugly. The guy just had no NBA skills, and he couldn't play defense. So, um, but then you go to Luke Kennard, and if you had if you had uh, a GM who understood the NBA meta you would have taken Donovan Mitchell in a second because his upside. I was, was about to say that higher. too. Yeah. And then hopefully you got to think that um, they got it right with Seku, right? Because, it, you know, instead of taking your low upside, I don't know, I guess shooter, you went for the cerebral young, like uber athletic player. Um, and I know he's had some struggles recently, but I, I, I think that, you know, he could be the player that breaks that mold of the Pistons poor draft choices like I don't think he's a, a Henry Ellenson you could just like he's at, like his one game against Boston was better than anything that Henry did in his entire career so oh absolutely Henry's one big game was a meaningless one at the end of the 2016-2017 season a meaningless win uh that the Pistons didn't really want or shouldn't have wanted uh mm-hmm. but did because yeah because Tom Gore no it was well, Stan Van Gundy, I mean, they were eliminated from the playoffs already. Uh, you don't really want to win those games, but uh, who knows what he was thinking. I, I would just prefer, every time I say the guy's name, it, it gives me like a little bit of a spike of, Ugh. I mean, he was just so bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth talking a little bit about um, about what has happened with Seku because he was very exciting for his first, I don't know, probably month. And uh, he's really, really petered out. I mean, he's been, to be honest, very bad. Uh, he just he took a bit of a dive and he stayed there. So I'm curious what you guys think about what may have happened. Well, I have a bit of a tangent I want to go on. So if Tommy wants to go first, I'll just I'll, I'll prime myself because I'm very passionate about this topic. All right, let's go ahead, Tommy. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm honestly okay with the fact that he's kind of taken a bit of a dive. I, I don't know how long the season is in in the French league that he was playing in. But a lot of these, I mean, he's obviously youngest player in the NBA. Uh, even even that Celtics game, it was it was a good showing, but a lot of it was he was just in the right place at the right time. But of course, he's shown enough for me, at least uh, in terms of shooting and just potential that I'm OK with the fact that he's not playing all that well right now. You just kind of I, I would honestly send him back to the G League where he can dominate and get comfortable again, because I think that's kind of his main issue right now is one it's a long season and two he doesn't seem as comfortable like i know his first game was like against lebron and then i forget who the other Kawhi, two Kawhi were, and then lebron Kawhi. it was crazy Kawhi. Yeah. yep and then draymond i think was his next one yeah i think I know, uh, it, this sounds yeah. backwards yeah but nobody expects anything from him in those games that's he didn't even have time to think about it the implications of that game because he found out that he was starting like I think that day. So I, I'm sure that the pressure's gotten the Clippers, to him a little actually. bit more. Yeah, the, oh, the Clippers, Clippers was his first game in the starting lineup. Yeah. Oh my mistake. 
But yeah, I it's it's not. I'm not upset about the fact that he's not playing all that well right now because it's his first it's his first season. Uh, I I would send him back to the G League, let him get comfortable. Uh, I I I'm not upset because I I don't think I didn't expect anything from him this year, uh, just based on a very short summer league showing, and even we've seen it in the games that we've played this year. He's a little bit out of control with his body, you know. He, he's he still hasn't figured out how to play NBA defense, and that's fine. So I, I'm okay with it. What do you think, Dante? All right, are you boys buckled up? Oh, let me <laughs> let me weigh in real quick before uh, yeah. before you, before you launch onto this tangent you're talking about. I just I I, I got to agree with uh, with Tommy. I think. I didn't even expect him to see time in the NBA this season. He's extremely raw. What he provided was a pleasant surprise, but uh, I think either he's just unaccustomed to the grind or his mental game went boom. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's actually not a great thing that he's still playing. I'd rather put him down to the G League. Maybe Dwayne Casey thinks he can still benefit from time in the NBA, but uh, he he already it's like he already showed us that <clears throat> what he can do at this point, uh, at this very very early stage of his uh, his, his at this point still a young NBA career and young life. I mean, he's still a very young player. So that was exciting. I think he's got room to improve. And honestly, uh, with what I believe the Pistons pick 15th. Uh, so with a 15th pick, if you get a solid starter, then you've come out way ahead. Uh, because, um, you know, you're not outside the lottery. I mean, even, even inside the lottery in the low lottery, I mean, your chances of getting a long-term good starter are fairly low. So I don't uh, even if he doesn't have the ceiling that people want to uh, or hoping he does, you know, if he's a guy who can come out there and give you 30 minutes a night and he's the 15th best small forward uh, in the league, then fantastic. You know, that's more than good enough. Yeah. I, All right. Go I ahead. Mean, well, I hyped it up a little too much. I'm not going to start screaming at you guys, but I, you know, Tommy, you mentioned that uh, against Boston, he was in the right place at the right time a lot. I don't think that that has really changed all that much. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a fluke. You know, you don't drop 24 points on really good efficiency against a very good, you know, a contender in the Eastern Conference without, you know, you have the ability to do that consistently, I think. And the fact that he did that after just having turned 19, uh, it really speaks to his upside. So maybe, you know, I'm a little higher on him than, than you guys are. But what, what frustrates me, um, sitting there and watching, you know, when Seku's on the court, I think a lot of like the hardcore Pistons fan, fans, we tend to like just watch him and what he's doing. And it's, you know, he's making good cuts. He's running the floor in transition at just blazing speed. Um, when he gets the ball, it, it's pretty clear that he wants to attack the rim, but I don't know if he's been like mandated to just sit in the corner and settle for spot up jump shots, but something changed between the Boston game and now, and I'm not ready to admit that it's it's just him, like he just doesn't want it as bad or he's just tired. But I have never seen a guy get, like, looked off on offense. Like, you know, Brandon Knight would rather take, like, a driving off-balance mid-range floater against three people than than pass to Seiku. I don't – it seems like he's, like, the, the consistently the fifth option. And no matter what – kind of basket cut he makes or where he's standing he's not getting that those same qualities of of looks that he got you know against like boston or even against the clippers um so i'm not ready to i'm not trying to make excuses for him but i'm not ready to ascribe him all of the blame because you you have to reward a guy working hard you know what i mean like 
Andre Drummond's a perfect example. Like when he wasn't, you know, if he's running the floor, like if he gets a block on one end and he runs the floor and he gets good positioning, he's a, he's expecting the ball in the low post, right? So I don't understand why, you know, Seku isn't rewarded for that hustle. Um, not by Casey and not by his teammates. I don't know if it's just because he's young and he's inexperienced, but I, I have no qualms with believing that he's he's capable of a lot more. So I don't I don't think he needs to be in the G League. I think that the game plan should be adjusted a little bit because he's the brightest um, future piece that we have. And I don't think he's being utilized even remotely correctly. I, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I'm, I'm just not ready to say, you know, he needs to go back to the G League because I don't think he should. I think he showed that he belongs at the NBA level at a super young age and they should let him play. I think it, it happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it happens sometimes just with young players that uh, just mentally they they fall off. Uh, I mean, the Pistons don't really have any recent examples. I mean, Luke Kennard was used pretty sparingly in his first yeah. season. Yeah, but uh, he even mentioned like that the biggest adjustment for him was thirty game season versus eighty games, and that was when oh, he yeah. was like you said, not even playing that much. And I, I agree yeah, that, that's you guys. big. Yeah, I don't say I, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, postulate that he's not tired or that it's not at all his fault because you can see him kind of walking around on the offensive end with his hands on his hips, right? But when you watch the games, it, it's it's like clear as day that he's just not receiving the quality of touches you know, that he once was, especially, you know, about a month ago when he was not the focal point of the offense, but he was very clearly like an important cog in it. Um, and he's just not getting that anymore. Uh, so it, it's a little more than the box score would indicate, right? Like when you watch, it's like, are they ever, you know, going to pass to this guy before there's, you know, half a second left on the shot clock. It just, it drives me nuts. Um, but you, you guys are free to, uh, you know, respond to that, but that's my two cents. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a sip of my water now. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the, the issue I see on offense. Like, it was irritating to me that he wasn't getting, uh, he wasn't really being included, because uh, it's like you know he's he's the only exciting thing about the team right now. Well, uh, back then at least, I mean, you have Christian Wood now, but uh, yeah, back but, then, you know, yeah. at that point, it's like when the Pistons were still up pretentious and winning, uh, and Drummond was still in the lineup. It's like you know, please just give the guy the ball. You know, it's, you just want to see him and what he can do. It looks really promising, <clears throat> but. Uh, there are some things, uh, you know, that you should say about uh, about Seku. He is he still struggles in the way to the basket. He's still really adjusting to the NBA game. He gets swatted a lot, you know, like a lot, oh, a lot yeah. more than yeah. About twenty five percent of his layup uh, attempts are blocked. So, and and that that that's just quite a bit. He's just he's still growing into his body. Uh, but the issue is right now. I mean, you got to be able to to perform on offense if you uh, if you want to get those touches and. His uh, he's been terrible uh, from the three point line recently. For example, I mean he's down to twenty nine percent on the season, and uh, I think he's just I think he's just kind of gone boom. And I think Dwayne Casey uh, has his own way of doing things, but I mean I would say ultimately there's really no call for worry. The only uh, the only real worry I mean I've heard good things about his work ethic, and that's really uh i think is is going to be the tipping point that they're really the x factor for such a raw a raw player is are you willing to work hard like uh i'm not i know at first people people looked at him and said oh he's long and he can play several positions so do we have like a new Giannis in our hands and it's like i, <laughs> I think that's going way too far for probably any basketball player in the world who isn't Giannis. but what they said about Giannis is like we knew he would be good but nobody knew he would work this hard so uh mm-hmm. You yeah. know that that work ethic is such a big uh, such a big thing 
even for a player with a high ceiling, Stanley Johnson, for example, I mean, say what you will about Stanley, his offensive touch was not there. He's a horrific scorer, terrible. And um, yeah. yeah, just terrible. But there's also uh, on uh, like his, he just, during the summertime, he wanted to play in Drew League and pick up leagues. He didn't want to work on his game. And, and when he did work on his game, he didn't know what he was doing. Like Dwayne Casey in his in his first offseason with the Pistons went out to to see Stanley and he found Stanley practicing mid range shots. It's like, you know, <laughs> if I'm Dwayne Casey, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. the way. It's like, what what are you thinking? <laughs> it's like practice your three point shot, and that, that's what he told him. He's like, start shooting from three, yeah. and it never worked. But like Stanley showed up to his sophomore training camp overweight because he just spent the whole summer eating and playing in Drewly in in, uh, in pickup leagues. So work ethic is such a big thing, even for any. Unless you're just naturally talented as a shooter, and you might be able to just have a career based on that, but uh, I'm not worried, yeah. <laughs> and uh, hopefully yeah. we'll see him uh, grow into a major piece. But yeah, uh, I, had, I think uh, one, yeah, I, I just so, I, I think right now thing. he isn't worthy of that that big role in the offense, and maybe it'd be bad for him to be very unsuccessful. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, one of the other things that I kind of noticed about Seiko, as more teams kind of like found out about him, I'm sure as teams start to game plan him, they they try to take away. Uh, what they know about him. And then the other thing that I noticed is there there are times when he goes in and he tries to drive and he, uh, the, the opponent will draw a charge on him. And I think it's shaken his confidence a little bit. I think that's part of the reason why uh, he's shooting so poorly and part of the reason that he's not getting as many touches. I think he's passing up some of those looks. Like he's not trying as hard to get open because I honestly think his confidence is just a little bit shaken. Those first three games, when he got the ball, he let it fly and it was like one smooth motion and he had a great jumper and that was really encouraging. And I, that's part of the reason I'm not too worried about it. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to send him back to the G league is because I think him getting his confidence back and being in a place where he's comfortable and he can like kind of remind himself. Yeah. I, he's got a good jumper and uh, where the defense isn't quite as stiff it would be good for him to kind of build his confidence back up. Cause I, I think really that is the main issue. I think that's a, an issue with a lot of players. Like I, I've, I maintain that I think Kyrie Thomas could be like a good rotational player uh, just based on what I've seen from him in summer league. Cause in his first game, he dropped like 29 and he said he was comfortable the next game. There was expectations from him and he didn't play that well. So for Seku, I would send him down there, let him relax. I, we, I've seen enough from him this year. I I don't really think that we need – I don't think there's a, a whole lot of benefit to forcing uh, more looks and more touches from him if, uh, if you think that it's going to shake his confidence further because if, if he's already shooting poorly and he continues to shoot poorly, you don't want to do you know, long-term damage to his confidence. Yeah, and that can be a big thing for a young player as well. Uh, uh, I mean, I know this applies logic. to a different league, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, this applies to a it's different league, of course. But yeah, it, it's all, of course it is. Uh, like in the NHL, the teams have the luxury of bringing players along much more slowly. It's just you know, it's just the way it goes. Uh, but a real effort is given toward not putting players. Real attention is given to not putting players uh, in situations in which they won't be successful because you don't want to hinder their development by just just you know tossing them in the NHL and watching them get just beaten to a pulp. I mean, not necessarily physically, but just being very unsuccessful. 
it can it can be bad for a player's confidence, uh, and 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 then that can in turn be bad for a player's development. So <clears throat> I suspect we'll see him uh, finish the season out with the Pistons. Uh, it's entirely possible that the uh, the powers that be in the organization, Dwayne Casey included, feel that he just has more to gain from being with the team, <clears throat> and maybe they think he's just done with the G League and that there's just nothing there for him. But uh, I, I kind of I, I think it's okay the way things are going right now that he's just uh, he's given less time and he's given less responsibility. Uh, and I'll say how it is: he's he's been bad. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Kyrie Thomas. Uh, why don't we talk about him a, a little bit because he just hasn't gotten that opportunity. Uh, no, no. He, um, <clears throat> I mean, he's been unlucky with injuries. In his rookie season, he was injured in training camp. That's what really gave Bruce Brown the uh, the go over him, which I don't think was ever really a good decision because Brown was was quite bad as a rookie. Uh, I mean, uh, so and and then um, he was injured again at the start of this season. Summer league, he did have that good first game, and then he was asked to do something he's very bad at, which is create offense. I mean, here's the thing with Thomas: he is not a good passer. He is not good at creating, a, you know, at shooting off the dribble. He is a three and D player, uh, and you have to be pretty darn good uh, as a three point shooter to be a good three and D player. But you see guys like Danny Green who do it just fine. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not saying Kyrie Thomas is going to be on the level of Danny Green, who's who's a pretty darn good rotation player. But I'd like to see the guy get a shot, like a legitimate shot, put him out on the court, and let him play minutes. Unless uh, it's like your your goal is not to develop Langston Galloway and Brandon Knight. <laughs> I mean, and at this point, uh, you know, this organization should be looking to exploit whatever talent is there. I agree. I think so. Yeah, it's a, it's it's just irritating to me. Anyway, why don't we move on to uh, to what's probably going to be the final topic tonight uh, on the podcast? Uh, I know Dante, you had the opportunity to actually sit in on. Uh, on a seminar with Pistons, in which yeah, in which you got some inside information that was uh, it was very interesting. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? It was uh, it was a cool experience, and basically um, through my through my law program, it's like half at Windsor, half at uh, the University of Detroit Mercy. I just one day I got this email talking about a sports law uh, conference with the Pistons, and Arn Tellum was going to be you know the keynote speaker, um, and they were going to send us to the game too after. So that was pretty cool. So. My friends and I bought tickets and we showed up to Little Caesars Arena and they took us up to like a box kind of suite, like almost like a conference room, kind of multi-purpose room. It was really cool. There was like, you know, these signed jerseys hanging up everywhere and they had like a couple of like Larry O'Brien replicas. It was really cool. But uh, basically, Arn was talking about, Arn and his, um, you know, his co-counsel and some of his assistants, they were talking about what it's like to transition from the world of being a lawyer and the law to getting into sports agency and, you know, things of that nature. And uh, there's a Q and a at the end. Um, and my, my buddy, uh, my buddy, Chris, he's not even a Pistons fan, but you know, shout out to him because he, he ended up asking a question about why the G league affiliate um, decided to go with, you know, to like partner with Wayne state uh, instead of Detroit mercy. And uh, they talked about like, you know, the air conditioning, some menial stuff a little bit, but uh, what I what one of the co-counselors kind of let slip out was he said something to the effect of like, yeah, and, you know, since we're going to be rebuilding, um, we want the young guys to be close in proximity. And he, he mentioned Seku specifically. He said, um, you know, if Seku needs to work on something with with the G League team, uh, then he's right there. He's within walking distance. And so as they're talking, I remember I, I looked over at my buddy like, uh, you know, he just cracked the Da Vinci code. And I was like, your question just answered 
uh, more about this franchise and where their heads at and what they're doing than anything that I've, you know, come across in the last five or 10 years. So good on you. Um, but that was, <laughs> it was just, it was just crazy to hear it like come from, you know, an executive member of the team, like, oh yeah, we're going to be rebuilding. And he just, he just like slid that in there. And then we all went and we like ate fried chicken and popcorn. And I was just thinking about it. Like, I can't believe that he said that. Um, so that's some clear direction, right? I think. Yeah. And this was before, uh, they had made that direction clear, right? This was before the Drummond trade. This was before any buyouts. This was, uh, you know, just me sitting there, you know, in my Pistons jersey, listening to Arn Tellum and his assistants. And he, like, the, it was like a, like a five second little comment. And I remember thinking like, oh, that could be something major. And then, you know, they, they ship Drummond out for a second round pick and then everybody's getting bought out left and right. And it was, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, so I'm glad that I got to hear it and then I get to let everybody else know. Um, but it's one of the coolest things that I've ever done for sure. And I'm just glad that something useful, you know, something pertinent came of it. Yeah, that does sound really cool. Uh, it was. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, it was like the, uh, like the, the clouds parting and the, the ray of sunshine with the, you know, with the hymnals in the background. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, no. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> he looked, he looked right at me when he said it, he knew that I knew, like we made like eye contact and it was for sure. I was, it was the craziest thing. Um, and I was just so happy to hear. And I was like thinking about it all day. I was like, they're rebuilding. No way. And then, you know, a couple <laughs> weeks later, they go out and they do it. I mean, or they take the steps towards beginning to do that. Um, so to hear that firsthand, I, I don't know, guys. It was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're getting pretty close to an hour here. So uh, how do you guys have anything else you'd like to talk about before we end the episode? Um, how'd I do? Oh, you did great, man. It was a pleasure <laughs> having great, you on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We would uh, we'd love to have you on the show again sometime. I appreciate so, that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thank you, Dante, for being here. Uh, oh, you're for welcome. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, this was fun, and uh, like to thank everybody for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode.